Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. God is good, and I thank the Lord for all that he's doing. I want to... I was amazed this morning when uh, Julie got up and said that something about uh, something you're going to be teaching on um, obeying the will of God in your life, obeying the call of God in your life. That's what I want to talk about today. Will you turn to your neighbor and say, will you respond to the call of God in your life? I think many times he is calling, but people aren't listening. He calls, but we don't have the frequency tuned in. Have you ever been on a call and you catch every other word? Sometimes that's the way we are with God. The call of God in our lives, he wants to do something great, to take you to a scripture in 1 Samuel 16, very well-known scripture. I'm not going to focus on this scripture long this morning, but I want to talk about how that the Lord spoke to Samuel, and Samuel had become frustrated with the leadership of Saul. He had long since been estranged from fellowship with Saul. He didn't feel that he could back him anymore. Uh, several years earlier, he had actually felt like this is the last time we will cross paths. He kind of had that feeling that if he, if he, have you ever felt like I hope he, I don't get on his radar screen? <laughs> and he kind of felt that way. It's like if the receiver of revenue, I don't even want him to know I exist. And somehow we take comfort in that. And that's how Samuel felt about Saul. He felt like Saul was just not his friend. Though he had been the one who anointed him, though he had selected him, and though he had felt that God was choosing Saul, many things had changed over the years, and Saul had gone his own way. He had veered off course, and he couldn't find his way back. Now, this Samuel became frustrated with Saul. God broke the cycle of Samuel's thinking and said to him, I want you to take a trip. Go to Bethlehem and I want you to anoint Saul's replacement. And he said, wait a minute, Lord. I know you live up there, it's safe, but I live down here. And it's not real safe for me if I go off half-cocked and anoint a successor for the reigning king. I can't do that, Lord. The Lord said, I'll help you out. Take a heifer with you and go and call for all the, the, the people of the city of Bethlehem to come. Those, especially the leaders, but call for them to come. But I want you to make sure one particular man and his family come. A man named Jesse. All of them will be invited, but choose Jesse to be your special guest. And so he did. When he got there, well, the people began to say things like in Second Samuel um, chapter 6 and verse 4, it said, Samuel did what God told him. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the town fathers greeted him, but apprehensively. This is in the Message Bible. They greeted him apprehensively. Is something wrong? 
And so he said, nothing is wrong. I've come to sacrifice this heifer and lead you in this, the worship of God. Prepare yourself, be consecrated, and join me in worship. He made sure Jesse and his sons were all also consecrated to worship on that day. And so they did. And um, then the, all the ceremony that was public was taking place. And then there was a pulling aside with his guests, with his friends, this man, Jesse. I don't even know if he'd ever met Jesse, but God had met him and that's all that mattered. And so Jesse came and as Jesse was there, his seven sons were there. And so he said to Jesse, I must, as we talk about consecrating ourselves, there is a something I must do. I I want to call every individual of your family in front of me. God gives you an accountability thing. He doesn't just say, okay, everybody consecrate yourself. He looks at you and he says, are you consecrated? Are you consecrated? Are you consecrated? And from those who stood at a distance, it didn't seem like anything was out of the ordinary because He was calling each individual. That's the way God works. And God wants to call you. He doesn't just want to call all of us. The stranger who has walked in here today, who knows nothing of the culture of this congregation, knows only what they see with the historical structure before them, but they look at you, they look at this situation, and you may not know why you're here or what the whole purpose is that God might want to accomplish in your life. But the fact is, you are here. And the Lord is looking at you. And he wants you to recognize God is in the house. God is in the house. And God wants to touch every one of us. There is a purpose he has planned for your life. Not just your life, but your life. He's pointing at you. It's not supposed to be good to point, but God points you out. (laughs) He has a plan. And so we look at this and we see how that, that, uh, the Lord brought Samuel to this. And one by one, the sons of Jesse were made to walk before him and for a moment stand. And all this is going on in Jesse's mind. They don't even know what's going on. They don't know I've come to anoint a king. Even when he anointed David, he didn't say I've come to anoint a king. That was, that was dangerous talk in those days. They didn't have freedom of speech that you could just talk about anything you wanted. And it's okay because you have that right to have freedom of speech. But he looked at them and Eliab stood before him. And Samuel didn't know altogether the whole picture of what this was about. But I want to tell you something. Samuel did not come looking for a head. He came looking for a heart. He didn't know that. But he was about to find out. (laughs) You know, even if you are the great apostle or the bishop or the archbishop, You don't know everything because you're under direct orders from the boss. Is that right? And so as 
We look at this, we see God spoke to him and he said, don't be impressed with Eliab's appearance. Don't be impressed with how tall he is. <laughs> don't you remember Saul? You were so impressed with him. I pointed him out, but you in your eyes, you became impressed with him being the obvious choice, head and shoulders above all of the others. And yet Samuel found himself looking at Eliab and thinking the same as deja vu for him. And the Lord rebuked him and said, no, don't be impressed with what he looks like. Don't be impressed with his, uh, what he appears to be. I have rejected him him move to the next. And so he went through Abinadab, Abinadab and Shammah and went through all the brothers of David until Samuel turned to Jesse and he said, listen, have you no more sons? I mean, I know I've run the gamut and it's finished and I cannot pour this horn of oil I've got here uh, hanging over my shoulder. I cannot pour it on any of them. The good boys, perhaps. I don't know. I may never talk to them beyond today. But have you no more sons? And he called. He said, well, the runt of the family, it says in the message Bible, the runt of the family, the, the little one, the young boy, he's only 17. You're not a man to your 30 in Israeli cultures. And so he said, but the boy he is out there with the sheep. And so they called for, he said, basically, Samuel said, the roast can get cold and the gravy can congeal, but we're not going to sit down till the king comes. So David was called. And as he was called, then he came and as soon as he walked in, there was a forward movement of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Couldn't help themselves. And they looked at him and David who knew something was up but didn't know. None of us ever know what God has up his sleeve. None of us ever really know. But I'll tell you what, we get the memo quickly. When especially out, we're about to go through a, um, a time warp. Our heart's going to change. Our life's going to change. Our future's going to change. When those things start happening, it becomes an amazing dynamic in your life. And so as David came... It seemed to almost be as if he came and he started bending lower as he arrived. And he found himself on his knees, standing, kneeling before the prophet. Remember, Samuel did not come looking for a head. He came looking for a heart. And so he took a horn of oil and he poured it over him. He didn't just dab him with a nice cross in a discreet manner in his forehead. But he poured it over him. And David was doused with the holy anointing oil. May not have been holy necessarily, but he sure was anointing. And God did that to, for David on that day. As I look at that, I think about how when Samuel poured that oil onto David, everything changed in David's life. Everything changed. That day became a day he walked through a portal. That was a day he walked into a whole new life. It's like Narnia and going through the closet. Getting on the other side and finding out there's something different over there. That was going on in David's life. 
David still didn't know what all was going on. And we never know fully what God has in mind. But it was a beautiful thing. At that very moment, the Spirit of God left Saul. And it came upon David. A dark spirit came upon Saul. But a spirit of light and openness and favor and blessing came upon David that moment on that day. Something happened. And as I think about that, I think about how that, that David went through so many changes there. You know, the, the call of God, and I'll leave that story now, but I want you to realize that the call of God brings you into a private, um, as if in, into a place of being like a private in the military, a low-ranking member of the armed forces when you respond to the call. And when you respond and you say, Lord, I, I will go where you want me to go. I will be what you want me to be. It's like you say to the government, I'm ready to go where you assign me. You send me to the coast. You send me to Asia. You send me to Africa. Wherever you send me, I know you're going to pay the bills. You're going to take care of things. I'm yours. That's what you think when you're a private in the military. And I don't know what the rank would be here. And that's a good place to be. And that's what you respond to when you respond to the call. You say, I will, I will go where you want. But you're not an officer. But you're, you're low rank. Your pay grade is not very high. You've just gotten in the door. But you're in the door. And that's a good thing. Everybody say, when I obey, it's a good thing. And so, but there comes a point when you receive a mandate. And that's different. It's totally different. When you've not just obeyed the call, but something else starts churning in your spirit. When you're outside the camp, let's say you're that visitor here today, and you have not heard the call, you didn't know there was a call, you're just a spectator today. When you're in that place and you don't know anything about the call, it's an amazing how, a thing how God can give you an epiphany. He can cause you to see something no one else around you sees. He can cause you to have an epiphany, perhaps an angelic moment, perhaps like the dream that uh, Pastor Rod had of all the technicolor, though he's never been to technicolor in a dream. But there it is. And it's an impacting thing when God comes into your house. <laughs> it's an impacting thing. You will never be the same when he comes to your doorstep, when he knocks on your life. When you would like to continue on same old, same old, year after year doing the same old thing, but all at once you're like Paul or Saul of Tarsus as he found himself on the Damascus road, knocked off of his horse. And you look down from the ground and say, what's up, Lord? I don't know what's going on. 
And so God does those things in our life. When he gives you an epiphany, when he gives you an epiphany, he brands your brain. It's like he takes, if you've watched a Western, they take that steel instrument, dip it into the fire, let it lay in the fire for a moment, and then they brand the rear end of a cow. And it comes out with the brand of the owner of the ranch on the back end. And anybody who sees it doesn't wonder who that cow belongs to. That cow belongs to Tom over there who has that double T ranch or whatever it is. If God brands your brain, you won't think the same as you've ever thought before. Something's going to happen in your heart and in your soul. Things start changing. When God brands your brain, you start finding yourself, giving of yourself more to him. All at once, it's, uh, uh, it's uh, what's yours is mine, what mine is yours. Everything is different. Uh, my economy is different. My heart changes. You have a divine currency after he gives you an epiphany or after you respond to the call. You develop a divine currency. And because of that, that divine currency, it's because of a divine visitation. How many have ever had any kind of visitation from the Lord? Even if it's just him just touching your heart. How many of you have ever had a divine visitation from the Lord? Do you know you have developed, your wallet becomes full of divine currency because he realizes he can tap your shoulder when he needs someone to respond. It's very important. If Jesus comes to you like he did to Paul on the road to Damascus or Saul, it changes your future plans. You can have great plans for what you want to do, but all at once, everything changes. It all changes because he's the boss. And if he demands it, you will give it. Uh, you may not be a slave, but you certainly become a servant. Uh, the slave comes after you receive your mandate. But you, you receive this from the Lord. He, you become a servant of the Lord. You're a servant in the house. Uh, they can call you at 3 o'clock in the morning if there's a problem. And though you might not want to get out of bed, you will respond because you're a servant. And you're aware of the fact that God requires more of his people than just will you pay your tithe and will you come on Sundays. It's a higher level of understanding when you respond to the call. And so it's very important. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 12 through 8. 8 12 through 18. If a fellow Hebrew sells himself or her to be your servant, or we could inject their indentured servant, because they found themselves in debt, they found themselves in a hard place, and so for a period of time they sell themselves. This is the economy of the Middle East during those days. After six years, you must release them. Release a male servant. Do not send him away empty-handed. It says in Deuteronomy 15, but give him a generous farewell gift from your flock or your threshing floor and your wine press. Share with him some of the bounty with which the Lord your God has blessed you. 
Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I'm giving you this command. For those who were indentured servants, they worked for you. They were almost more than an employee. They were more than an employee because they found themselves in a, a place where somebody needed to pick them up from the grind. They didn't understand the difficulty financially or etc. whatever was going on in their life. Somebody needed to suspend them for a period of time after which they could be set back down and make their own way. They needed a reprieve. They needed a chance to be someone else make the hard decisions for a while. And after six years, though, you must release them because they don't belong to you. You became their big brother. You became their master, if you will, for a while. But then you must release them so that they can go their own way and rebuild their life. But don't send them away empty. Give them things so they can begin. Give them seed money so they can do whatever they were wanting to do but couldn't do before. They can do it now. Then he says, but suppose your servant says to you, I will not leave you. I like it here. I like your family. Uh, You're a, a righteous and a generous and a kind employer. I don't want to leave. I don't feel safe out there. I've been here long enough to know I have it good here. I don't want to leave. In that case, verse 17, take an awl, A-W-L, and push it through his earlobe into the door. After that, he will be your servant for life. As he says this, it says, do the same to the female servants. It is a case of someone saying, I really have found loyalty to this house. I really like being here. This is not about really the subject of slavery and all of those things. This is about when it moves from your, when it moves from your flesh, To your soul, things start changing. Saul of Tarsus was a man who was loyalty. He he had great loyalty to the the high priest, to the system. He loved all things Jewish. He was a man of the flesh to the Jewish cause. But then came Jesus. And Jesus changed everything. (laughs) And uh, he didn't get the memo. Saul of Tarsus didn't get the memo, and he was—he took papers, open um, documents that he could go and he could sign the names of the people when he found them, and he didn't know their names in advance. He could just sign their names at will. That's a powerful position, a corruptible position. But it was a powerful position and he had all these search warrants and affidavits and everything the high priest had given him. And he went toward Damascus, but he didn't make it to Damascus until God got through giving him an attitude adjustment. And so there he was on the side of the road, left in a bit of a dilemma. 
knocked off his horse, hearing Jesus say to him, Why are you kicking against the pricks? Why are you fighting against me? Well, who are you? My eyes aren't working so well right now. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I am Jesus whom you persecuteth. It's an amazing thing what happened to Saul of Tarsus. I like it because he changed his name. Saul, who was a descendant, he was of the tribe of Benjamin, like Saul of Tarsus, or like Saul in the Bible, the first king. But now here he is. He goes through a change. Well, the point is that um, he became like the man who said, I will respond to the call. But then after he got to Damascus and Ananias came to him, things began to change rapidly for Saul. And as they began to change, God began to, to let him know what the future was and what the plan was. And so the call, when a man of God experiences a call, it will require deep commitments and, re- and a rearrangement of priorities. It'll require some deep changes in your life. Have you ever noticed when a kid grows up, they're so much different than when they were just a kid, a toddler versus then they go into adolescence and then they grow up. And uh, Antonio walked up to me today and I, I, she said, um, and I'm Antonio and I said, and the first instinct, what, I didn't even know who in the world she was. First instinct was, this is Emmanuel and Io's daughter. But I didn't want to go there because what do I know? <laughs> And then when she told me who she was, I said, no, 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 you're, 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 you're supposed to be shorter. You're supposed to be younger. These kids grow up. And as they grow up, so do you when the call of God starts working itself into your spirit. <laughs> you start changing. You start growing up. You cease to be the kid you used to be. Things start changing in your life. You start thinking more maturely. You start acting differently. Things start so changing in your life. There comes a point when all kinds of things start happening. And as all of this starts happening, your flesh will live for this life, but your soul will live for eternity. And that's the way it is when... Your flesh, you can receive the call of God and still be as carnal as you can be. You're in the flesh. Turn to your neighbor and just look at him. But there comes a point. There can come a point. It won't come to a point for everybody, but it can come to a point for you. When all at once, one day you realize this, you realize, I am not made for this world. I am made for eternity. And all at once you get the memo. And all at once you begin to realize God has deeper and better and stronger and higher things for me. He has planned a different thing for me. I will walk his way. It's amazing how things start changing. And so every person has an eternal soul. When the Holy Spirit places a call upon your life, it is to serve. It is not about prominence. It's not about reputation. It's not about 
a career or accomplishments, when he starts, when he calls you, it's to serve. That doesn't mean you're, I mean, you're just private. You're just doing what you find naturally to do for him. The prophet Jeremiah received the call. And then after a while, it came so strong in his life, he went to a new level, um, so much so that he said, when they tried to shut me up, I wanted to obey them and keep my peace, but I could not. For it was as if fire was shut up in this rib cage. I couldn't help myself. They can say, but your head's going to come off if you open your mouth. I'm sorry, it's going to explode. <laughs> that something starts happening in your life. And when it starts happening in your life, believe me, you have no apologies. You're ready to offer. All you can say is, I will obey. How many of you are to that point in your life? You want to obey the Lord. Raise your hand if you want to obey the Lord. But God has something stronger planned for you. If you can hear him, if you don't get on that right frequency, you'll go the rest of your life and you'll never know what it's like to get a mandate from God. But when God gives you a mandate and he doesn't have a mandate for every person and it's okay, I forgive you if you don't have a mandate, it's fine. But sometimes God says, I don't care what's been offered to you. I don't care what doors you have available to you. I don't care what career path you have. I have a higher plan for you. And it's very important that you be willing to listen to him. You cast hesitation aside when God gives you a mandate. What is a mandate? A mandate is the authority to do a particular thing that is needed. It's an official order or commission to do something. Required action or purpose as to make things happen that are needed to happen. You cast your hesitation aside. You feel absolutely that a higher power is now calling the shots. You are no longer your own boss. You can say, I'm the captain of my ship like Robin Williams in Dead Poets Society and all that sounds real good. But the fact is, when you receive a mandate from God, you stop worrying about such things and you realize, he's the boss. He's the boss. I am not the boss. I not grappling about he's my co-pilot or I'm his co-pilot. No, he's the pilot. Let him take this ship where he wants to take it. An authority rises up inside of you when God gives you a mandate. An oracle, as if it's a word straight out of the mouth of God, comes to you. Nobody may know, you may be the shortest, weaselly-looking character that looks like a bean counter and a bureaucrat and a civil servant. But if God places his anointing on you and gives you a mandate, and you know, just like Hollywood, sometimes he needs a certain kind of person to do a certain kind of job. They all can't look like Elvis. They all can't look like the perfect actor. No, we need some short, bald-headed people once in a while. <laughs> 
We need people that have unruly beards. We need people who have all kinds of oddities. We need overweight. We need underweight. We need them all in order to make this movie. God needs every kind of ugly, bad, good, everything in between. He needs, if you can't talk right, if you have a lisp, he will use you. But you can decide early. I'm not just willing to be called, give me a mandate. Give me something that reaches down and rips things out of my life that I don't want to let go of. And if it happens, it's a good day for you. Praise the Lord. You need a day of visitation. If you have a day of visitation, it'll change your life. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need your life changed. (laughs) Your mandate comes in the form of a personal commission. Your mandate comes in the form of a personal commission. Christy and I had been pastoring. It was our second church. We'd pastored in Connecticut in America, and then our second church, after teaching in a Bible school for several years in San Antonio, Texas, we became the uh, pastor of a church in Atlanta, Georgia, and it was a troubled church. It had had many different things. We pastored there for two years. At the end of, toward the end of two years, our uh, our portfolio was essentially normal stuff. Oh, I'd taught in a Bible college, but that can be normal. Uh, I had traveled as an evangelist before I even met Christy. I was on the road traveling as a young evangelist, and um, all that was good. And um, I now was pastoring a church. That's fine, but that's not anything spectacular. But I never thought in those terms. One day I had invited a speaker to come to our church. And um, I'm about, I know on the next day I'm about to have a board meeting. And it's going to be a, not a walk in the park. It's not going to be one of those board meetings that you can write home to mama and say, it was a good day, mama. No, I mean, everything could fall apart tomorrow. Issues I don't even want to go into. Um, had very little to do with me, actually, but it had a whole lot to do with, with how somebody, and actually a couple of the 11-man board that I had, a couple of them had some kind of personal issues against preachers. I just happened to be occupying the hot seat. And, oh, brother. And anyway, long story. But that's going to happen tomorrow night, Monday night, the first Monday of January of that year. And uh, this was 34 years ago. And as I'm facing this, I'm, I'm a little concerned, but I have a guest speaker coming the night before. What I'm about to tell you, I've never told anybody, uh, a, a couple friends personally, but I've never told anybody about this event that took place. But it was an interesting event. For me, it would become the beginning of God knocking down whatever tree I had grown and would now make a new tree. As superficial as it could be, 
became much more than that in my life. This man who came, he was a United States colonel. His name was Charles Holt. He was a cousin to Oral Roberts. I didn't know him. I had been recommended to have him by another friend, and so I invited him to come on this Sunday night to speak in our church. Um, As customary, I invited him to come to my office before the service, and I said, I would like to just visit with you for a few minutes, get acquainted with you, and and then we're very glad. You've certainly come highly recommended. We're very glad to have you speak for us today, tonight. And so we sat there, and he said, do you have any idea why I've come? And I said, I have no idea. If it's not just to be a guest speaker, I have no idea. He said, well, uh, several of your friends have been in communication with me. I'm a part of a board of five United States colonels, and we have um, set up a foundation And we've gotten it duly authorized to where that if there is a minister whom we feel we would like to honor, we can honor him. And we want to give you the title of Colonel tonight. I'm thinking Monday night, tomorrow night, all hell may break loose. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow night. And yet this man is telling me that he's about to go into this service and perform a ceremony where he will invite the leaders of the church to stand around and he will declare me to be a full colonel listed in who's who among colonels in America in the Library of Congress. I'm thinking, Lord, what in the world is going on tonight. I don't know. I'm not so presumptuous as to be um, honored. I'm humored. I I mean, obviously, it was an honor. I was going to get wings that I can put on my lapel. He gave me uh, a couple different uh, wings that I could put there. Um, And uh, I just said, I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to walk out here with you and turn the service over to you at some point, and I will, like everybody else, be shocked. (laughs) And he told me all the reasons he had come to this decision and all the buildup of research. And I'll find I knew I hadn't done anything that wonderful. I had just done what a man of God is supposed to do. I have been saluting as a private and obeying him in every way I could, but I was not taken up with myself. Whatever turns you on, boss, go ahead. You want to do this? That's fine. I'm just going to stay around for to watch. I remember the shoulder, on my right shoulder, one of the men who was gathered around me that night and touched me on the shoulder, and I, I could almost feel the heat. <laughs> he didn't want to be there. It was amazing, the experience I had. Later on, there were a few times I wore the wings. 
But I'll never forget when this military guy walked into the elevator I was standing in and went into a full salute. I said, this thing is coming off. (laughs) I don't want to explain to anybody what God had up his sleeve on that Sunday night. All I knew was, from that moment on, I felt a mandate. I really did. Something changed in my thinking. I did not think as a private. I thought differently. Now, the jury is not out, and you're not going to get to vote on whether or not I really did act like a colonel. That's immaterial. The point was, God had some screws he needed to turn. He needed some changes he needed to make, and that would get my attention. When God gives you a mandate, things change. And I'm going to wrap this up pretty quickly. But when God gives you a mandate, things start changing in your life. When you walk in obedience, when, when, then God's will, God will show you portals that you can slip through. Almost like watching Kate and Leopold or some back to the back to the future or something. You you know, it's like I can slip into that and it was a portal. It was like that closet in Narnia. But it, it, God will open for you something and you won't know how to define it with human earthly words. The flesh can't go there. You have to be transformed in your spirit, in your, your outlook, in your opinions, in your worldview. Everything has got to start changing about you. And you've got to say, God, I want you to talk to me and do something different in my life. And if you will allow that, it'll make a difference in your... You know, we've had many times different assignments. All of those specific assignments, besides pastoring a church, have come to us after I received a mandate. Coming here in 2007 was an assignment. I did not confuse it with a mandate. I felt coming here was an assignment. I was to be a bridge. You can, you, you can drive across that bridge and not know you're on a bridge. You think you're on solid earth and all the way, and now you're on the solid earth again. That was my assignment. Make this ride smooth because you are not the future. Someone else is the future. That can be humiliating or humbling is a better word for you. Except that when you obey God, you're happy. Everybody say, I had happy juice. (laughs) It's okay. I don't look at myself any other way. I see myself as God's donkey. Well, anyway. (laughs) But God has a plan for our lives. And as I think about this, I want to leave you with this thought. And that is that God wants to show you a new road for you to walk down. And he wants, some of you need to take this session or whatever it is they have planned here to talk about the call of God in your life. You need to walk down that road. You need to sign up and you need to be present and you don't need to miss anything. Break everything else about your schedule, but be present to talk about the call of God in your life. That's very, very important. 
but it's not the sum total of your future. Because God may want to take you higher, but you will be the one who determines whether you will go higher and whether or not you will receive a mandate. I think when you determine you're going to walk forward and you're going to obey God, then God will start saying, yes, okay. I'll tell you what, you jump through that hoop a few more times and I think you're in, bro. (laughs) God will start working in your life different than any way that you've ever had. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It changed my life. It made a difference in my life. God wants to make a difference in your life. And uh, some of you have heard me tell it, but when I was 12 years of age, six months earlier, my family had become Christians. But when I was 12, I sat in church and I saw in the building that was just smaller, about two-thirds as big as this building, and uh, I was sitting there, Six months after I'd become a Christian, my whole family had become a Christian in a single night. And I remember that I looked, and uh, some of you have heard me tell this story, but I looked up at the front, and all at once I'm sitting in a different building, a completely different building. It was made of wood. It It looked different. It was darker walls. It would only seat four people across with an aisle down the middle. And could only maximum seat 35 people. But then I looked and I saw as a 12-year-old boy, I saw my dad standing on the platform. My dad had only been a Christian six months. He had never stood on the platform. Never been in a church standing on the platform. He had always just been a part of the congregation for this last six months. But as I saw him, then I noticed he was saying something. And I listened. In this vision, God was giving me an epiphany. And I heard my dad say, tonight, my son Ron, I'm not going to preach. My son Ron is going to preach. And he stepped down and I stood up a full-grown man. That's what I saw in that vision. Later on, I would be offered a a full-blown university education by a businessman. I could go to a university. He would pay the way. I wanted to be an attorney. He said, I will pay your way. He went to the school and told them, there's a young man in your school, and this is what I want to do for him. And so as that happened, it's a long story, but as that happened, I had to go to him when I was 18 and say to him, Mr. Pulley, thank you. I appreciate this. But God showed me a vision when I was 12. That was six years earlier. And I told him about it. And I said, I'm going to have, if God ever taps me on the shoulder, it's like that awe had been stuck through my ear to the door. (laughs) I will obey. I will not walk down the road of whatever I choose. He is my boss. I am forever his servant. And when he did, when I told him that, he said, thank you very much for your honesty. Goodbye. God bless you. (laughs) And I left. God has never given me a shortfall in anything. Everything, he's always come through stronger. But eight years later, from the time I had that vision, I was 20 years of age traveling and preaching in America. And I came to see my parents because my dad was also traveling and preaching at that time, came to see them. When I came to see them, he said, Ron, I'm preaching in a small church, not very big, 
but uh, tonight, would you like to preach? And I said, yes. So he walked into this wooden structure, two seats on either side of the aisle, 35 people in the building. But I didn't recognize him. I'd never been there before. He said, why don't you sit on the platform? So I did. He led the service. And then he said, folks, I'm not going to preach tonight. My son Ron is going to preach. My dad, who's six foot three, who was six foot three, and my mom was four foot 11. That's why I'm five foot nine. Stepped down from the platform and I stood up full grown and it hit me like a ton of bricks in my chest. It's like hitting me with a hard hit in my chest. Deja vu. I've been here before. <laughs> this was God confirming the mandate. At that time, just the call. But I would progress. If you want to progress from wherever you are, whether you are a guest here today, a visitor, or whether you have responded in some way to the call, or whether you have received the call, but you're looking for a mandate. I'd like for you to stand to your feet. You want to progress in God. Would you stand to your feet? You're open to whatever he plans. I enjoyed the worship this morning and the worship leading. And Emmanuel, Emmanuel is always one of my friends. Do you still have GK Real? Do you know you can get favorites in the kingdom of God? Some of you who are here are some of my favorites. I love it when I see you. And, I, and the lights come on when I look and see Depot. When I see Jason. When I see Michael. When I see the different ones. Do you know God is like that? And he sees you. And he loves you. Everybody take your hand. Put it on your chest. And say he loves me. Father I pray right now for everyone who is here. That whatever has been going on in their lives, you will change the course. Knock them off of their horse if they need to be. But get their attention. Rewrite their, their diagnostic plan for their lives. And cause your work to be fully implemented by their energies. In Jesus' name, amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 